right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Layton Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to be joined today by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World coming up at 340. Kevin Flaherty at 440 talk some KU football with both of them. We got more RCST trivia on today's show, and we've got some more KU football audio to share for you. But first, a quick announcement. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State to celebrate. All new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. I was trying to think of what I would do if I won one hundred thousand dollars of free bets. What would I do it on? Would I just immediately like risk it all on one game and just be like, I could double my money and then I'm gonna go pay off what my kind, house? What kind of bet would it be? Would it be like a crazy upset, like a surprising, like another no. Stephen F. Austin beating no. Duke or something? No, with a hundred k, you're not putting it on a, a money line of some underdog. With a hundred k, you know, you're throwing it on something you feel solid about. Maybe a spread on someone. You know, minus two and a half where you don't feel like you're giving up too many points. You just basically need a, a simple win there. And like I said, I'm paying off my house at that point if I win it. Right. If I don't, hey, it was it was free, right? Uh, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing agreement requirements. One per customer, $100 issued as four $25 free bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstake. Avoid where prohibited ends first day. DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at dkng.co slash ks. Okay, so the uh, Kansas City Chiefs have their first preseason game coming up this Saturday. And we spent a little bit of time on, on the Chiefs here and there. But they released their first. I don't understand this. They call it the first unofficial depth <laughs> chart. It's like, why are you releasing it if it's unofficial? You know? I, I guess I understand what they're saying in terms of it's not official, like this isn't it forever, but I think we all kind of understand that. We, we haven't I, even I, played I, the first preseason I, game. I think it's just to give people a general idea, especially I with guess. the first preseason game coming up, but I could see, yeah, it's it's not really necessary. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm just, I don't know, being nitpicky there, um, but... We go through the depth chart, and you will be shocked to find out who is starting at quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. <gasps> Patrick Mahomes. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too crazy there, right? Um, wait, wait, wait. That guy from Texas yeah. Tech? Ah. I know. Didn't even go to a bowl <laughs> game his last year, college? Like, come on. Um, Bum. No. <laughs> <laughs> some positions of interest, as you see the depth chart here, like running back, 
I, I think we've heard a lot about Ronald Jones and, and maybe overtaking it running back one. I think there's been a lot of, of conversation and momentum lately with Isaiah Pacheco, the seventh round draft pick that he's getting some reps with the ones and that he could be someone who really impacts things uh, for the Chiefs coming into the season. But still on the depth chart, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is listed as the number one. Jarek McKinnon is listed as the number two after he had a really strong postseason with the Chiefs. It's interesting, and I'll be curious to see how many running backs they keep because between CEH, McKinnon, Jones, Isaiah Pacheco, and then you also have Derek Gore who looked good in kind of limited time last season. I mean, you're not going to keep all five of them. Like, at least right. one of them is going to get cut. There's a chance you only even have three running backs, but if all of them are contributing in certain ways and are talented, you might keep up to four. But it's it's not just about how many are you keeping. It's about who's going to, you know, get the most carries, who's going to get the most touches, who's going to be in, in this situation. And it, it just feels like the momentum has been driving off of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but here he is still listed right. as the number one. And the thing about, I mean, the thing is, like, when looking at this depth chart, the thing about Isaiah Pacheco does confuse me because he's the fourth yeah. string running back, but first string kick returner. Mm-hmm. So do they for that kick returning? I get which I guess we'll see in the preseason. Are they going to keep him solely because of that, or do they switch things around? That has to help. Um, I mean, you don't have ties. To, like if you're a seventh round draft pick, it's not like a guarantee you're going to make the roster. Seventh round draft picks get cut all the time. But if if he and that kind of goes back in line with the for the Chiefs to keep you know extra running backs for them to keep a fourth running back, you're probably going to have to influence the game another way. So if he is returning kicks and, and like you said, he is listed as the number one kick returner, that probably increases the chance they would have a fourth running back on the on the roster. Which maybe that means that the real battle is between Ronald Jones and Derek Gore, mm. because even if if whoever wins that battle is ahead of Pacheco on the running back only depth chart, which I don't even know that that would be the case. Pacheco has the kick returning to lean back on, whereas those guys wouldn't be doing just that. And and again, I think, you know, when we started camp, it was like, oh, Ronald Jones, I wouldn't be surprised if he even pushes to be the number one running back for the Chiefs. And now it's like, well, he's he's got to do this and that and, and perform well in the preseason just to make the roster. And that, Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, and now you kind of just speculate the deal that he could be cut within mm-hmm. a month's time. Um, offensive line, nothing crazy. It's the guys you expect. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Andrew Wiley is the one. Like, Darian Kennard came into camp. He was a fifth-round pick, but it was kind of the same thought as Trey Smith, where it was like, hey, this is a guy who, you know, he was a sixth-round pick, but he fell for maybe other reasons, medical reasons, whatever. But he is a plug-and-play player. Talent-wise, he's a a second- or third-round pick, and he came in right away and really impressed as a rookie. That was kind of the thought a little bit with Darian Kennard that maybe he was like a higher floor, lower ceiling type of guy they got in the fifth round. He is listed as the backup, so I guess it is a competition. But right now, Andrew Wiley seems to be winning that out. And um, it sounds like, by all uh, accounts, Kennard has maybe more of a project than they might have expected. Obviously, Lucas Niang uh, got injured last season, and he's still fighting back from injury and everything. But the big battles there are just kind of at the, the backup offensive line. I don't really want to spend too much time there. At receiver, you have Juju Smith-Schuster at one starting receiver spot. Not really surprised there. What I find interesting is you have Marquez Valdez-Scantling starting over McCole Hardman yeah. at the other receivers. And, and a lot of times when you start, or a lot of the packages, it's going to have three receivers on the field. I guess we don't really know whether it'd be Sky Moore or McCole Hardman, but that is very interesting that in a two-receiver look, 
they're starting Marquez Valdez-Scantling already over McCole Hardman. I think some of that just has to do with how great MVS did mm-hmm. in Green Bay. And he must be having a good camp then as well. Because obviously we've only seen only so much with camp, you know, with him in a Chiefs uniform. But he's obviously impressing in some sort of right. And that's what I like to see. You know, one of those big free agents that you bring over already, boom, in the starting spot. You yeah. like to see that. Yeah, that that has to be a good sign for him. Like you said, that that he is already clicking with Patrick Mahomes in the playbook and everything. It's just, if you're on board with the idea that, hey, this should be the breakout year for McCole Hardman, then you can't be usurped by an incoming free agent who has It's not like McCole or Marquez Valdez-Scantling is, you know, coming in with 3,000-yard receiving seasons. Like, you know, you look at last year's receiving numbers, they're, they're kind of comparable between the two players so it's it's not just that this one guy was just seen as this overwhelming product over you um that kind of tells me a lot and that I I to be clear was not really expecting a McCall Hardman breakout season I know a lot of people were hey it's contract year Tyree Kill's gone he fills into that role sure maybe there's some more targets and a few more catches and a few more yards I just don't think that's really who McCall Hardman is I think McCall Hardman is a He's kind of a gadget player, you know, jet sweeps, occasional punt or kick return, catches a receiver screen, can make you miss after the catch, the occasional long ball with his speed, but I don't think he's really that complete receiver. Um, The other guy that I found interesting here, Justin Watson, Mm -hmm. because I've heard, you know, great things out of camp from him, what he has done since coming over from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, all sorts of speed at receiver, but it actually has Corey Coleman and Omar Bayless kind of listed ahead of him on the receiver depth chart, but... Uh, then you go further down the list of receivers, and you have Josh Gordon, who's like on the last line of <laughs> receivers. So that probably doesn't bode well to him making the roster, and he kind of struggled really last I season. I mean, what, didn't he like get released on waivers, and then they brought him back, and he's probably going to get cut again? Yeah, like at this point, I'm not really expecting him to make the roster. Uh, Jody Fortson, I-, I know that's a big Chiefs favorite. He's kind of fighting for making the roster. If they keep four tight ends, he should be good, but right now you have – Travis Kelsey, Blake Bell is listed as the number two. Noah Gray, who you just invested a draft pick in, uh, not this year, but the season before, and showed some flashes at different times as your number three, which I think you would like him to to usurp Blake Bell, ideally. But Jody Fortson in at the number four, so um, that's not great for him. And he's just kind of dealing with injuries, so it's tough for him to to show himself on, on the practice field. Uh, moving over to the defense, Mike Dana and... Um, Frank Clark are listed as the starting defensive ends, which is certainly interesting because your highest uh, or, or one of your highest draft picks, I guess technically second highest, but one of your first round picks, George Karloftis, and then the other guy uh, that you gave a big free agent contract to on a one-year deal about a week or two ago, Carlos Dunlap, listed as backups. Now, I think that Dunlap is going to be a guy that starts for this team when all is said is done. I think that might be more of an indication on it's just early into camp. He just got with the team like a week ago. But I find it very interesting that George Karloftis is behind Mike Dana. Yeah, that's that's that, that's mm-hmm. the thing that kind of gets me because we we saw how good Karloftis was. Uh, and it was a great get for the for the Chiefs. So, you know, it kind of – I am kind of turning my head towards this defensive end spot because, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, you, you just uh, – you know, you talked about the praise that Carlos Dunlap has in George Karloftis. When Mike Dana's had his tries, Frank Clark – Absolute beast, obviously, in his own right. Um, who's going to be the second guy then? Because obviously Frank Clark, Frank Clark's going to be number one. I'm kind of thinking Dunlap will eventually usurp Mike Dana, but yeah, that uh, what becomes interesting there is that 
that means Karloftis has more to beat than just Dunlap or Frank Clark to be a, a starter. He has to beat Mike Dana as well, which maybe that's just a motivational tactic. That's part of this as well. Yep. I mean, it's it's the first week of preseason, right? We'll, we'll see what they show on the field. I should make mention, Azur Kamara is listed as the fourth string, former Jayhawk. Maybe he can work his way up uh, ahead of like Malik Herring or Joshua Kando or something and make the roster. So we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. Chris Jones being a defensive tackle, not that that's a surprise, but uh, certainly confirms his move back to D-tackle after he was a defensive end at the beginning of last season, which worked out a lot better when he was on the interior. And then we go to the linebackers. Nick Bolton and Willie Gay did enough last year. Young players coming into this year, you just expected them to be starters. They're listed as starters. But that third linebacker spot seems to to still be up in the air. You got Mike Rose as an undrafted free agent, had a really good career at Iowa State. You drafted Leo Chanel in the third round, who's just this like ultra-athlete, really good blitzer of the linebacker. Um, struggled a bit in coverage at Wisconsin, but I don't know if that was a Wisconsin scheme thing or what, because the athletic stuff for him is just off the charts. Uh, you signed Jermaine Carter, I think, from, I want to say, Carolina, where he was a really good special teams player. Racked up tackles, but didn't have like a good... Um, grade to kind of get there but the guy who's currently starting is Elijah Lee and uh he's kind of the same thing like he he's mostly been known for like good special teams player and everything but seems to be taking advantage of his starting linebacker role and I I think if you ask the Chiefs they would probably say we would love for Leo Chanel to do enough in this camp in preseason that he usurps Elijah Lee and we we have another athletic young linebacker in the core but we can't just give him the spot and right now Elijah Lee Sounds like he's kind of earned it. I like that word, by the way, usurps. <laughs> but Thanks. still, um, I'd like to see that too. Mm-hmm. You know, just try to complete that whole linebacker. I mean, that linebacker core is already great with Bolton and Gay. I'd like to see it complete. I don't. I mean, I don't know too much about Elijah Lee and how how well he's done. Obviously, because it kind of gets overshadowed by you know everybody else on the defensive front. And then uh, in the secondary, Juan Thornhill, Justin Reed as the safeties. No shock there. Corner, you have Trent McDuffie starting. Joshua Williams is kind of the first backup um, whenever Rashad Fenton comes back. Like, he could move in front of some of those guys. But um, I I think you're going to really like uh, Trent McDuffie, first-round pick. You expect things there. Joshua Williams, I keep saying this, man. Mm -hmm. Fourth-round pick, but you're talking about a staff that has consistently brought in corners in the fourth to seventh round. Like, Legereus Sneed was part of this. Um, I think uh, Rashad Fenton was part of this. Or even as undrafted guys. Um, Traverius Ward, who ended up signing a free agent contract, big contract with the 49ers this offseason. He was part of this. Guys you drafted in later rounds, you coached them up, and they played even early on in their careers, and you found some some stuff out of them. And when I see Joshua Williams, I see he's like six foot three, great athlete of a corner. He was just a fourth round pick because he played in HBCU where he wasn't on national TV every week. He wasn't playing against you know, these top-tier receivers, so you, you naturally have the question, and, and it's fair enough when you're not playing in the SEC or some high-level league or something, like how is this going to translate to the pros? But I see all those tools, I see the athleticism that he has, and I see a coaching staff that has done well with late-round pick corners, and I'm like, that dude's just going to hit. And so the fact that he's been getting reps with the ones and is probably going to be a part of this rotation, I, I think speaks very highly of uh, what he could be and that you might have gotten some really good young corners out of this uh, draft class. I'm ho- I'm hoping that I can I don't know if you could use this as a as a hot take or something like that. I think Josh Williams will be a standout defensive back. Mm-hmm. Not just with the Chiefs, I think in the NFL. 
He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty will join us at 440. Matt Tate in about 20 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie, Derek Johnson here on KLWN, klwn.com. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, kusports.com, joins us now. Uh, Matt, I'm curious, between just, you know, checking in on practices, hearing from coaches, players, or whatever else, uh, who for you as, I guess, possible, like, breakout player storylines, or or, uh, what have you been most intrigued by as far as uh, that tract of of things? Um, Yeah, it kind of changes, you know, day to day, week to week, but I'll tell you one that uh, really jumped out to me today, to be honest with you, was uh, their, their new wide receiver, Doug Emelian. Um, he came from Minnesota. He doesn't have uh, much of a resume, really. Um, you know, two years up there, I think he redshirted a year, and then I think he only played like 12 snaps last year. Um, so not, not a ton of experience, but a ton of confidence, a ton of talent, and at a position where okay, you really need someone to uh, you know fill a void and step in and and be a big time player. Um, I think they have other receivers that can do that, and I think they have other guys that will have good years. But he's uh, I talked to him today for the first time, and and he really impressed me. He's just kind of got it all. He's he's got the uh, personality, uh, the confidence, but also you know he's a team guy. He described himself to me as grimy. Um, which you don't hear many guys do, right? That's not like a an automatic top of the list compliment no. when you're when you're trying to brag about yourself. Is your follow up question? Have you taken a shower? Yeah, well, you know, then I checked my hand after we shook hands, and I was like, ah, little grimy. No, you know, but yeah, I mean, the point of his, his you know, him explaining it that way was basically. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever needs to be done. He likes blocking. He's not afraid to, you know, mix it up. He'll go over the middle. He'll go down the field. He'll do whatever, whatever gets him an opportunity to play and make plays and, and be a part of the team. So, um, you know, is he a, is he an all Big 12 guy? Probably not. Um, but could he make a big impact on the Kansas offense? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. So, um, you know, that, that, that's a guy that, that probably not a lot of fans have heard of because he's new and, and uh, a guy I would definitely keep my eye on. Well, it's definitely interesting because of that receiver position. You know, you're looking for guys to kind of step up there. Um, so if I had to ask you right now, like, who do you think ends up leading this team in – I don't know. I, I think you can approach it different ways because I think there could be different answers of who leads in receptions versus who re- leads in receiving yards versus who leads in receiving touchdowns. But do you kind of view him as, as being the, the top optimal threat there uh, from the receiving core? He certainly won. Um, you know, there, there's there's a, a big reason to think that Lawrence Arnold will have a big year. Um, he's got some experience and, and he was a, you know, a, a big time get when they were able to, to convince him to stick around instead of leaving. And, uh, you know, he's got the size. I mean, he, he's just one of those guys that you've seen come in the last couple of years and, and taking some steps forward um, toward production and toward, you know, maturity and all of those things. 
And, and now there's no one in his way, and, and it's kind of his time. So I, I think he's a guy that could break out. Um, Luke Grimm is another guy that has been here. Uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's a three-year guy already, and he, I talked to him today today as well. And, um, he, you know, he, he basically, I guess he had his birthday, 21st birthday the other day, and he said he was telling his parents, like, whoa, I feel like I just got out of high school, and now I'm already in my third year of college. You know, what's happening? But I think what's happening is, you know, he's settling into a role as, as even though he's a young guy still, um, he's a veteran on this team, and, and he's he's a guy they point out as, as an automatic leader. Um, he's really tried to emphasize that part of his game and his contribution. And so, you know, we've seen him make plays. We know that Jalen Daniels has a, has a rapport with him, that he likes throwing him the ball and he trusts him and he counts on him and, and all of that. So, you know, those three guys right there are, are, as you said, I mean, depending on how you ask it and what exact statistic you're looking for, um, I think you could make a case for, for all three of those guys to be the leader or the tops on the team in, in any given category at the receiver position. So, you know, the ideal thing for Kansas would be if all three of them have good years. Um, then you're talking about production from multiple places. You're talking about helping balance out the offense and, and opening things up for that running game, which, you know, should be a strength. So, yeah, you know, there's room for all three of them to have big years. It's just a matter of if they're all ready to do it. The guy who's going to be throwing them the ball, uh, Jalen Daniels. We, we've kind of talked a lot about the the spectrum here that could be because, by some accounts, if uh, like based on the way he finished last year, uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen the stat that by his total QBR over the last three weeks, like that would have ranked second over the course of the season in the Big Twelve. So, could he have a top half of the season, a uh, top half QB season in the Big Twelve? Um, I also wouldn't rule out the possibility of, hey, this is Kansas football and, uh, you know, there's not been long-term stability or high-level play consistently at the quarterback position. Who's to say that he doesn't just go out there, though, and kind of be a mix of the two and, you know, has a solid season, but it's not one that jumps off the page, you know what I mean? Like, he has, I don't know, 15 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Like, that would be one of the better KU quarterback seasons in recent memory, but it would yeah. Like, what do you kind of view, I guess, as the realistic expectation for not just what he could be this season, but for what the stats could possibly look like? Yeah, no, it's a good question, and and you're you're exactly right. I mean, the the numbers that you just threw out there, we have seen, right? That's like that's Peyton Bender. Um, you know, no disrespect to Bender. He was a, a two-year starter, and he was an important part of a of their program, and he gave them some stability there, even though he wasn't very dynamic. He was, he, he finally gave them an answer of like, well, the, you know, at least we have a quarterback, and um, you know, he just didn't didn't have the opportunity to to really blow things open, and part of that was what was around him. Part of that was him. You know, part of that was the coaching. All that, so. There have been guys like that, but, um, I, you know, I think the expectations are higher for Jalen. Um, I think he, first of all, expects much, much better from himself than those types of numbers. And part of it is because of that last, uh, you know, few games that, that ended the season um, on a high note. Uh, having said that, I don't think that anybody's expecting him to, to you know, over a 12 game season be the kind of guy that ranks second as a passer in the, in the big 12. I mean, if that happens, um, 
that would obviously be a major news and, and a big time development for KU. But I, I don't know that anyone's looking at it in those terms. I think they're just looking at it in, in terms of getting better and progressing and, and taking this program to another level that it needs to get to before it can get to the level after that and the level after that. So, um, numbers wise, I, geez, I'm terrible at this kind of thing, man. Um, uh, I'm good at it when it's fantasy football, but when it's real football, it's hard. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think if, if you're projecting him to be a 12-game starter and, you know, you're expecting that that the offense will be maybe as good as we've seen total picture um, in terms of balance in a long time, I, I don't think there's any reason that, that 25 touchdowns is too high. I mean, you know, I'm sure in some ways that might even be low. Um, but that's over to a game, and uh, – I think people would sign up for that right now. Uh, the bigger question will be will be the interception part of that equation. And, and you know, if, if you throw 25 touchdowns but you throw 18 interceptions, um, is it really much of a net positive? I don't know that it is. But if you can keep your, your, your interceptions to single digits, you know, and go 25 TDs and seven or eight in- interceptions, I, I mean, I think anybody would take that right now, especially at Kansas. So, um, I, I think those are decent numbers to throw out, and, and at the same time, I think those are numbers that that Jalen for sure believes are well within uh, his grasp and, and what he's capable of. So, again, just like I said about the receivers a second ago, I mean, now it's about going out and executing. And uh, you know, there's still a lot of a lot of camp left, and they've still got time to improve and 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 get comfortable and and build it all and and put it all together but you know that first game's not far away now and and so i would imagine that the excitement level's uh, up a notch or two and and they're starting to think about things like that well even with all that confidence in in what he could be uh, because this is kansas football if i still gave you the over under of one and a half quarterbacks to start a game this season for ku what would you take oh my um Wow. Uh, one and a half over or under. Geez, that is, shouldn't be that hard, but it is. Um, I'll give you one and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably take the over still. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> whether it's the right answer or not, I don't know, but it is, it is the right answer in terms of the right bet to make, right? I mean, it's just, as you said, it's Kansas football. Injuries happen. It's hard to expect a guy um, to, to, you know, who hasn't done it ever to go out there and be a 12-game starter. Now, having said that, I'm basing my number entirely on maybe injuries. I think, I think Jalen is this team's quarterback. I think he knows that. I think the team knows that. And I think the coaches would absolutely love that to be the case. So, if you're looking at a, you know, maybe an injury situation, that's that's why you probably take the over. But um, in terms of whose job is this, uh, I don't really think there's a question there at all. And I, I also think that there's a chance that they could use Jason Bean in some packages and in, in different different ways, not even just at receiver like everybody wants, but but actually as a quarterback. But in order to use him, you don't have to start him, you know. So. Um, it's really tempting to take the under just because I think Jalen's done a great job of, of 
you know, uh, improving his body and working on, on all of the things that you have to take care of to be a 12 game starter. Um, his conditioning, his, his physical shape, um, he's added weight, he's added strength. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to think that, that he could be that guy. Um, so I might've just talked myself into the under, but <laughs> we better move on before I take both and then invent a new one too. But, but it's, it's, it's intriguing for sure. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of reason to, to like the, the chances of him being a, uh, a full season starter. Okay. So if I, if I added the, the caveat there, not including injuries, would you, you under yeah. for sure? That made it easy. Sure. I, I, I definitely would. Um, two reasons. One, because of all those things I just mentioned about him evolving and developing and, and improving his game. But two, I think that there's a real opportunity here that the coaches have to look at this thing and go, you know what? He could come back. I mean, like, it's not just about, oh, we've got this guy who's pretty good for this season. I mean, this is a guy who could be another year or two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and why would you not take advantage of that if you're, if you're the, the coaching staff, you know? So um, I, I think barring something crazy in that, in that situation, um, I think they would love for him to be the guy. And, and so, yeah, if you, if you put the no injury tag on there, then I will stay under because I think it's his show. I think he's the man. I think he's the face of this program, and, and uh, I think he's ready for that. Yeah, I, I think you could look at what I'm about to say here on really either end of, of the lens, I guess. Um, you could view it as, well, last year, you know, the only reason Jalen Daniels uh, eventually got the starting role is because of injury to Jason Bean. So they were actually on track to let Jason Bean start every game, and that would be under one and a half. The flip side to that is hey, that means that we were more committed at one point to Jason Bean than Jalen Daniels. So how much of separation is there if there's a couple bad games stretch, which we did see a couple bad games stretch for Jason Bean, but he stayed as the starter. So you can kind of view both ends of the spectrum there. Totally agree. And, and you know, I think that's a, more than anything, I think that, that you have to answer that with the idea, and it's a very important idea, that this was still a coaching staff in its first year. So for them to say, yeah, we went with Jason Bean, blah, 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 we know everything, uh, I don't think they would have even told you that. You know, I would think they, they would have said Lance and, and Andy Kotelnicki and whoever else might you be talking to. Um, I think they would have said, you know, for right now, the, the, the key disclaimer there, for right now, Jason Bean's our best option. But I don't think they would have said, oh, yeah, we can see into the future and that's it. You know, they, they didn't hardly know the, the personnel yet. Um, they certainly didn't understand fully what it takes to compete as Kansas in this conference and in the current state that the program is in. So they learned all of that stuff as the season went along. And, and so by the end of the year, um, you know, that doesn't mean Bean would have been yanked or anything like that. But as you mentioned, he did have some up and down moments. And so maybe as things continued to progress, they would have realized, okay, Jason, you did great for us this year. Thank you. But let's, uh, let's take a look at, at Jalen and see what he's got for the future. You know, I don't think they were in any kind of position or, or desiring to, uh, to lock things in in year one, because by all accounts, that was, that was a massive learning year for the coaches. And, uh, you know, it paid off. They learned a lot. If you talk to any of them in camp right now, they'll, they'll tell you it is night and day between last year and what they're feeling this year. They know their players. 
Um, they know what they're trying to get accomplished. Their players understand that and, and feel more comfortable in the system and, and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they used year one exactly how it needed to be used. And, and so it's hard to look back and, and say that maybe, you know, anything too definitive would have been established. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, they definitely did choose Bean over, over Jalen Daniels. He's also a year older now. So, um, there's a million ways you could look at it, but, um, the best news for Kansas would be if he is the guy that everybody believes he can be, and he goes out there uh, on September 2nd and has a whale of a night and just kind of takes off and runs from there. So it, it'll be really interesting to watch, as it always is. It's the quarterback position. I don't care if you're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars or Kansas football or Lawrence High or who you're talking about. Quarterback is always a hot, hot topic. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work and coverage of camp and everything going on uh, in the LJ world and the KUSports.com between him and Zach Boyer. And uh, Matt, as always, I appreciate the time. Uh, and before we let you go, do you have any parting words for Ryan Goodwin, who's uh, there you go. gonna, going later today? I was going to do it. Yep. I was going to do it. I wasn't going to – it was going to break a streak of us talking <laughs> about him. So, um, no, you know, he, he did text me a little bit ago. He didn't tell me the result of his game because – as I've told you before, I don't mm-hmm. want to know. Um, but it's coming up, right? Yep, it's coming up in the yeah. 4 o'clock hour. Okay, so uh, I didn't want to know, but he did text and, and, and say that he was disappointed in you for putting <laughs> me on after a Chiefs segment because he, he thinks you should know better than that. So, uh, I, you know, I, I like you enough to overlook it, but I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong either. This was, this was a tough day for me, and uh, you're, you're lucky I even gave you 50% effort here after that move. So, Can you do um, your best Russell Wilson impersonation of Let's Ride Bronco Nation? <laughs> we did that at camp this morning. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of talk about that. And, you know, as I've said with a lot of athletes that I've cheered for over the years, uh, I don't really care about them as people or fathers or brothers or whatever they are. You know, I'm hoping he's a good athlete and he can perform and put up numbers so that the team I root for wins. If he's a dork, he's a dork. I'll live with it. (laughs) Well, Matt, I appreciate it as always, man, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, Derek. Thanks, man. Yep, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. As we continue on with two more matchups today, we've got third-ranked Blake Farrell taking on Brad Wandell, a couple one-on-one teams. And then we're going to have Ryan Schlesner taking on the number one team, Ryan Goodwin, in a battle of Ryans with the number one team trying to start out 2-0 and on this season uh first things first our first matchup of the day we're having some technical difficulties so apologies for 
maybe not as as good audio quality and and any technical issues uh, that come up there. But here is our first matchup between Blake and Brad. We've got our first trivia matchup of the day. Blake Farrell, our third-ranked team in the RCST Top 10. He is 1-1 on the season, 40 points scored, had a tough loss last week to the number one team in RCST trivia, taking on Brad Wandell, who also has the same record, 1-1. and They're his first two matchups so far. Uh, so, Blake, we'll start with you, uh, ranked third in the country. Tough loss last week, losing in overtime, especially the way you did. Have you thought about, you know, uh, I don't know, has that kind of been through your mind, like uh, just constant uh, like regret of, of either the decision in overtime or, or missing a question or anything, or have you been able to move on pretty easily? I've been able to move on. I think I kind of wish I just would have gone with the medium and just kind of put the ball in his court, but I think he would have got it right anyway. So I was probably losing no matter what. So it, it all worked out. Well, Brad, um, you are one and one on the season. It's a chance to get back above 500 here and, and score a, a pretty big victory here. But last week you were shut out. So back to the drawing board. Have you done anything different between last week and this week? Uh, I did look, you know, I went through some all-time records and whatnot. But, yeah, that was a tough one, you know. As a result of that, the kids started crying. The wife left me. I smashed the TV. My mom won't talk to me anymore, you know. So hopefully I can recover here this week and do a little better. <laughs> Man, a lot of repercussions there. Blake, do you feel bad? Do you almost want to let Brad win here? I do. This is That's terrible. I don't know if a win would get all that stuff back, though. So we'll see what happens. Yep. Maybe if I just get one or two. It'll all work out for me. Well, Brad, I'll tell you what. Uh, maybe this will be a little solace for you. I will give you the choice of heads or tails on the quarter. All right, let's go heads. All right. It is tails. So, uh, Blake, you come up with the uh, the win on that end. So, do you want to go first or second? I'll go second. All right. Blake's going to go second. Brad, you are up first into the easy round of questions. These are worth three points here in the first quarter. Brad, Kansas began the 2009 season 5-0 and before finishing with what record? 5-7. and seven. That is correct. 5-7. and seven. They uh, skidded to the finish line there, and that is a nice three-pointer for you to get going. So there you go. You, you ended there the shutouts. Yeah. All right, Blake, for you to tie. What head coach was fired at the end of that 2009 season? Mark Mangino. That's right. Mark Mangino was fired. And uh, who knows how much, you know, there was obviously the off the field stuff that led to the firing. If that team would have ended up going, I don't know, seven and five or beat Missouri in the end to get to six and six and make a bowl game. I don't know if it uh, happens or not. Nobody will know. And uh, that will certainly be an interesting what if moment. Okay, into the medium round, the second quarter. These are worth six points. Back to you, Brad. What quarterback led the 2010 post Todd Reesing team in passing yards and passing touchdowns with 1,195 and seven, respectively? Uh, Michael Cummings? No, that is incorrect. The correct answer there is Jordan Webb. Jordan Ooh. Webb was the uh, post Todd Reesing guy. I had to fill those big shoes there. I think Cummings was. Cummings was years yeah. later. Yeah, that's a uh, tough story. All right. Blake, you got a chance to uh, take the lead at the halftime break. What freshman running back led those 2010 Jayhawks in rushing yards with 742 of them to go with nine touchdowns? James Sims. That is correct. James Sims. 
really good running back for KU. Never really had the team success, but uh, was just kind of a consistent guy. You could just count on seeming like four yards every carry from James Sims. All right, you take a nine to three lead into the halftime break. Brad, you have a chance to take the lead right back here because in the third quarter, these hard questions are worth seven. Brad, the KU record for kick return yards in one game is 203 of them. It was set by what player in 2007 against Nebraska? Marcus Herford. That is correct. Marcus Herford, you added the junior, would have given you an extra uh, half point. Uh, Not really, but uh, Marcus Herford Jr. uh, ended up having that record there, and that gives you a big seven. You're up 10 to nine, so Blake will have to answer here. Second on that list for most kick return yards in one game at KU was 201 of them. It was set in 2016 for second most against Ohio by who? Gonzalez? That is correct. Quiviante Gonzalez. He had 201 of them against Ohio. Quiv with a uh, big game there. So that is a big seven for you, Blake. You stay consistent, and uh, that gives you a 16 to 10 lead here headed into the fourth quarter. So, Brad, it is up to you. You got to nail this really hard question to try to get the victory here. And if you do nail the really hard question, you would move in front uh, by a score of 18 to 16 and would put all the pressure on Blake. So, Brad, for you in the really hard round, Kansas upended 15th ranked Georgia Tech in 2010 behind a team high 15 tackles and three tackles for loss from what player? Steven Johnson. Not a bad guess. Good linebacker. The correct answer is Justin Springer. Damn. Not sure if that name rings a bell at all. All right. So Blake, that takes the pressure off you here. You got the victory. So that's got to feel nice, but you know, points being a, uh, a cheap tiebreaker, uh, you know, you, you want to get as much as you can, and this would be your second perfect game in three matchups if you can nail this. Blake, for you, Kansas was beat down 59-7 to by Kansas State in 2010. Who scored the lone Jayhawk touchdown after they got down 52 to nothing? Ten seconds. Good James Sims. That is incorrect. Would have been fun if you had two James Sims. The correct answer is a guy that Brandon McAnderson talked about on our uh, show on Friday. He said he was like Adrian Peterson in practice. That would be Angus Quigley. Angus Quigley, the correct answer there. But in the end, Blake, you come away with the victory 16 to 10, the final score. So uh, thoughts on your week three performance here and, and getting another victory. Uh, it feels good to get the win. I feel bad for Brad because that tough that last question was tough with that tackle. I would have probably guessed Johnson as well. Springer was in mine, but yeah, good matchup. I well, guess that's uh, Brad, why they call it really hard. <laughs> yeah, Brad, would you have known the uh, Angus Quigley one? Uh, I would have guessed Tony Pearson, so no, I wouldn't have got that. I'm disappointed I missed the Jordan Webb one. That's one I feel like I should have got, but no, I wouldn't have got the other one. Well, if you would have hit the Jordan Webb one, we would have been going to overtime right now, so that mm. the, the little bit unfortunate there, but I think your wife has to come back to you, your children. I think everybody has to respect your performance. You hit a hard question. You got back on the scoreboard. You almost pulled an upset of a top three opponent here. 
uh, I don't think you can be disappointed with your performance today. Uh, I'm not all the way back yet, but I'm uh, on the road to recovery. So we'll do a little bit better next week. Love it. Well, guys, I appreciate it. And, yeah, we'll talk to you uh, for the next couple of weeks in uh, the final matchups. All right. Hey, thank you appreciate so much. It. Thanks, Derek. Take it easy, Blake. That was our first trivia matchup of the day. Once again, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. Thank you to all our sponsors. We'll continue on with another trivia matchup coming up next between Ryan Schlesner and Ryan Goodwin. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk and RCST Trivia with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson right here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app, depending on it. RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. We've got our number one team, Ryan Goodwin, going again. He had his debut last week, won in overtime, 19-16, to and it's a battle of the Ryans here. Ryan Goodwin taking on Ryan Schlesner, who lost in his first matchup, and he's a little preoccupied right now. We'll get to that in a second here. Uh, Ryan Goodwin, though, wearing the home whites which uh, I appreciate. Also a KLWN t-shirt. I don't know if it's an RCST one or just KLWN specific, but uh, Ryan, thoughts on your week one performance? Are you riding high in the clouds here headed into week two? Um, It was just a tough matchup week one. Uh, I don't think you can worry about what you did in the past, so it's you just got to be ready to move on to the next guy and kind of like Bill Belichick said, just on to uh, the next opponent. I heard that, you know, of, of your friend group that, that we've made, mention of many times here on the show that likes to provide a lot of pressure and everything your way uh that you know they were asking like what did you do did you win did you lose and you were like you got to listen to it sorry so i appreciate that yeah we did yeah i mean i'm not giving them any uh inside info i mean if they want to find out how how's how it's going they can tune in like everybody else i love so it. They, they don't no preferential treatment here I love it. Uh, well, Ryan Schlesner, you were the other Ryan here. And, and like I said, you're a bit preoccupied, um, have a, a possible baby on the way. So that's obviously, you know, a little more important than RCST trivia going on. So I'd imagine that that keeps you a little scatterbrained and everything. But uh, I don't know. Do you have a name decided for the baby yet? Is that something you could share to public knowledge? We don't have a name decided. We're, we're down to like 10. Uh, you know, we're kind of those people that want to wait and see, make sure the baby looks like what we think we want to name it before we just slap it on there. So, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fun. I'm honestly kind of glad my baby wasn't born uh, right after my week one performance because of how embarrassing it would have been to have to uh, welcome a child into the world after only scoring three points. So hopefully I can uh, at least score a few more points today. You know, I've, I've heard from some fans and on the message boards, they're saying that if you lose to Ryan Goodwin, you are going to name your, your child Goodwin in honor of him. Is that true? <laughs> uh, that would be a very strange name for a baby girl, uh, especially. So I'm going to have to pass on that. one. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. Just clearing up the rumors here. All right. So, uh, Ryan, you're wearing your home whites. Well, Ryan Goodwin, you're wearing your home rights. Ryan Schlesner, you were in your, uh, I guess, road red. So. We'll call Ryan Goodwin the uh, home team and stick with the RCST trivia tradition of having the home team call the coin toss here. Uh, Ryan Goodwin, would you like heads or tails? I will go heads. All right. It is tails. So, Ryan Schlesner, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, let's go first. Okay. Into the first quarter of things. These are the easy questions. These are worth three points. First for you, Ryan Schlesner. Playing from 1962 to 1964, 
Name this Kansas all-time great running back and later Chicago Bears NFL Hall of Famer. Gale Sayers. Yep, Gale Sayers, all-time great, has a statue now in front of uh, KU Football Complex out there, and you're on the board with three points. You've matched what you did in your week one performance by week last week. All right, Ryan Goodwin, this one for you. Playing from 1968 to 1970, name this all-time Kansas great running back and later Washington and New York Jets NFL Hall of Famer. That would be the Diesel John Riggins. Great nickname, the Diesel. John Riggins is the answer there. I I, I didn't go back and, and re-listen. I, I forgot to, but we had a contestant yesterday. I think it was Andrew Wymore, and, and I want to go back now because he answered I don't know if it was just me hearing things and I wanted him to say this, but I could have sworn he said Tim Riggins on an answer. Maybe he said John Riggins and I was just hearing things from Friday Night Lights. Anyway, all right. Uh, three to three, the score into the second quarter. Ryan Schlesner, back to you. These are the medium round. These are worth six points. Ryan S., what bowl game did Kansas win in 1995 to round out a 10-win season? 95, I believe that was the Aloha Bowl. It was the Aloha Bowl. Took down UCLA pretty handedly there. All right, so you've surpassed your, your week one performance. Baby can only be proud from here. All right, Ryan G., this for you. At 6-5, and five, the 2005 Jayhawks earned a bid to what bowl game? That'd be the Fort Worth Bowl. It was the Fort Worth Bowl and uh, gave Houston a bit of a beat down there. All right, 9-9 to the score. We go into the uh, halftime break here and into the third quarter. The hard questions, these are worth seven points. Ryan S., first up with you. Leading the 2001 Jayhawks in passing yards with over 1,207 passing touchdowns as a true freshman, name this KU quarterback who also was a walk-on for Roy Williams in the basketball team. Uh, only QB from that era Ten seconds. really the mind is Bill Whittemore. Is that your answer? Yep. Correct answer is Mario Kinsey. Does that name ring a bell at all? Nope. All right. Not even- <laughs> <laughs> Ryan G, your chance for seven points and to take the lead headed into the fourth quarter. On October 6th of 2001, this sophomore rushed for 227 yards to help the Jayhawks earn a 34 to 31 road win over Texas Tech. What is his name? I believe that was Reggie Duncan. Your belief is correct. Reggie Duncan. Correct answer there. A lot of great running backs for KU, especially in that 2000 range. John Cornish, Brandon McAnderson, Jake Sharp, John Randall. Uh, don't forget about Reggie Duncan with that uh, big performance there. All right, that's a big seven for you. Ryan Goodwin, you are up 16-9 to nine on Ryan Schlesner, headed into the fourth quarter. So, Ryan S., you got to nail this question in the fourth quarter to have a chance to win. But if you do nail it, you take the lead and put all the pressure on Ryan G. and, and have a chance to pull the upset over the number one team. So, Ryan S., this one for you. 
who led Kansas in total tackles in both 1975 and 1976, recording 103 and 130, respectively. I think he was earlier, maybe, but I'm going to go Willie Pless. I want to say Pless was in the 80s. I could be wrong on that. That'll certainly be a name that comes up later in RCST trivia. That's a good guess because he was a, a great tackler for KU. The correct answer is Terry Beeson. All right, so Ryan Goodwin, you've secured your second win. Points are a tiebreaker. This is a big one for you here, and it would be your first perfect week and only your second matchup. Otherwise, you'll be sitting at 16, which is where you were last week, which it's a good number to be on, but feels even better if you can get to 24. All right, Ryan G, for you, no pressure on because you got the win no matter what. Who led Kansas in total tackles in both 1965 and 1966, recording 115 and 116, respectively? The only defender that's coming to mind from that era right now is uh, John Zook. And I'll go with him even though I know it's wrong. Correct answer is Mike Sweatman. I don't know if it's pronounced Sweetman, but spelled like sweat. So uh, 17 to 9, final score, or I'm sorry, 16 to 9, final score. Ryan Goodwin, you come out with your second victory here, improve the 2 and 0, stay undefeated as the number one team in the country. Um, I should probably make mention. You have some co-workers over there at Baker University who I have been informed by to ask you only very hard questions. I, I said no, um, I, you know, sanctity of the game and everything, but if I get a bribe my way, I can't make you any promises that in the future matchup that you're going to get all really hard questions. So good good job taking advantage of today. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll definitely have to be on the lookout for those uh, trying to sabotage me over at my workplace. Well, Ryan S., you come up short here, but you scored three times the amount of points you had in week one. You know, you come up short, but it's the number one team in uh, in football trivia. So what are kind of your emotions after this matchup here? Yeah, uh, laying an egg in week one as a preseason ranked team is uh, is something that I'm going to have regrets about for the rest of the rest of the year. Uh, but coming off a, a game like that and then looking at the number one team on the road, was just a daunting task and we couldn't rally. So uh, happy I at least answered two questions right. And hopefully I'll have a baby this week and, and be ready to roll for next week. So, yep, there we go. And we, we look forward to, you know, tracking the progress of, of your baby uh, along the ways. We'll see if we get a name by next week's matchup. Who knows? Maybe you'll be even be unavailable for next week's matchup because, uh, you know, the baby is being born and whatnot. But we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get there. So, Ryan, good luck on uh, future fatherhood of the baby girl and uh ryan goodwin uh good luck on on trying to foster your undefeated record the rest of the way <laughs> appreciate it Derek. thanks a bunch so ryan goodwin wins 16 to 9 blake farrell won the first matchup 16 to 10 and blake i'm sure is sitting there going man i needed ryan to get that last one because he's trying to catch ryan in the uh standings good start for ryan goodwin at 2 and 0 um I think Ryan Schlesner is going to get someone here. And, you know, at 0-2, if you win your next two, you still, I think, are going to have a chance for a bowl game. Might be a little tough uh, to win the division and make the playoff, but still the bowl game is is a possibility there. But at the very least, 
you can kind of spoil someone's season or cause some chaos there. And I think Ryan Schlesner, you know, maybe he could upset like either Blake or Justin. I believe those are his last two opponents that ends up having a, a key distinction in, in you know, keeping a, a tiebreaker away from a certain spot or something. I think he's going to get someone, but good luck to him on the future uh, baby upcoming there. And Ryan Goodwin remains undefeated, quieting the doubters. And, you know, uh, I'm sure for Matt Tate, he celebrates, but also there's a part of him that goes, man, I, I can't talk crap to him there. I don't know. Maybe this is what Matt Tate wants. Uh, the fact that he's setting himself up for all the success and then only to come crashing down if he does lose at some point, but, uh, you know, he's he's going to be number one again in the uh, rankings next week. At least I would think it's going to be tough for, for someone to jump in because, like, Aaron Mayer, who was our number two team, was on a bye as part of the Monday group. Our number three team, Blake Farrell, won earlier today, but he lost to Ryan. So it's going to be tough for anybody like that to jump in. I guess Kyle Coffey, who is the number four team, who goes tomorrow, if he had a perfect score, would that be enough? I don't know. It's kind of tough to, to say, but uh, certainly... The Tuesday group is going to be a battle. Justin Nichols, who was on bye this week, is ranked sixth. He lost in a close one to Blake to open up the season, and he's going to certainly factor into this thing as well. We have Brad, who had an opening win. Ryan Schlesner, obviously, uh, knows stuff as well and, and has gone far in basketball, and you know he was one question away from possibly pulling an upset here in this one. Uh, tomorrow's group, we are going to have Andrew Filer. Ryan Brown, Kyle Coffey, and Keegan Russell all matching up. I believe it is Andrew taking on Keegan and Ryan Brown taking on Kyle Coffey. Andrew's ranked ninth. Kyle Coffey's ranked fourth. So a couple more uh, top ten opponents going on tomorrow's edition. We have one matchup on Friday. We have two matchups coming up for you on Thursday. Once again, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. 23rd Street Brewery, where you can get great food. You can get their beer to go with their crowlers. Bill Self, Mac and Cheese, Haney Turkey Stack, Hank Booth Burger, to our uh, local friend here, KLWN and Hank Booth. All sorts of great stuff at 23rd Street Brewery. You can check out the outdoor patio. You can bring your dog as well, and they're the perfect spot to go watch all your uh, football action once we get to the fall. They're even going to be able to air some of the live stream football high school games with Lawrence High and Free State over there. So that's exciting stuff there. Also, Jayhawk Trophy, not just your Masters and Trophy, but also engraving experts. Over at Jayhawk Trophy, you can get plaques, trophies, all sorts of stuff there. And Johnny's Tavern, 12 locations from Topeka to Blue Springs. Neighborhood porch over at Johnny's. Always feel like a part of the family. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. We are going to take a time out. When we come back, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Going to talk a little KU football, Big 12 football with us on the other side. We'll be back after this time out on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. 
Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lynn Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson on KLWN. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. And we've had a good time talking KU and Big 12 football with Kevin as we're getting ready for the college football season. So it was a couple weeks ago we got into what that fun and glorious path of Kansas getting to six wins would look like, how they would get there, who they'd have to beat, things like that. Uh, we didn't get to it last week because I didn't want to finish off the show in kind of a uh, a bummer, I guess, so to speak. Um, and I think we've lost Kevin, if you can try to get him back on the phone. Um, but that's something that I want to talk about with Kevin here. I, I want to ask him to kind of take me through the negative path of this thing. Now now we'll get to some positive talk with, with KU as well, but um, of, you know... Eh, what it looks like if because I think the negative of this I don't know it's not zero like that that's you know ultimate doomsday kind of situation there that I don't really expect you play an FCS team you won two games last year so I I I don't know what the number is but maybe it'd be like two wins or something like that because that's not improving from last season it would be hitting the under it doesn't feel like as much of a negative as a positive of six wins would be so maybe it would be one win maybe that's what I'll ask uh so I think we have Kevin Flaherty from 24-7 sports uh on the phone here like I was saying uh you took us through the path of what it would look like for KU to get to six wins a couple weeks ago Kevin what would it look like for the negative side of that in a season where KU maybe only wins like one game yeah I think even more than the win total and it's funny because you know Bognets, uh, Michael Swain and I have talked about the fact that the success for this team won't necessarily be in the wins and losses. Yes, you want the team to, to win it, so you have something tangible that you can take on the recruiting trail and say, hey, there's, there's improvement here, you won games. But I, I think the level of competitiveness is really going to be what will be the thing to watch. And I know... You and I talked, I think, last week, right, about that West Virginia game being maybe that sort of swing game when you're looking at, you know, this could be a positive season because you have the Tennessee Tech game to open up, which is a winnable game. You have the Duke game that I think most people would feel like is a winnable game. And in in between those, if you manage to go out to Morgantown and win a game, all of a sudden you're three and one coming out of September and you're really on the right path. And I think that the flip side of that is looking at that game as a swing game. If you come out of Tennessee tech and you go to Morgantown with, you know, confidence building and you think everything's going right and West Virginia just puts a hurting on you. And I I mean, like it's, it's not close. You know, JT Daniels looks like he did, you know, at times, at Georgia when he had them, you know, kind of looking like a national title contender at the end of his time there before he wound up getting hurt. If you come out of that game where where you're really bruised and all of a sudden you say, oh, man, like that's that's not good, I, I think you are in a situation where you're looking at, okay, how does that Duke game play out? All of a sudden that game takes on so much more importance, I feel like. And even beyond that, I think the thing that we're watching so much is the level of competition. And so if Kansas goes 2-10 and 10 this year, 3-9, and nine, I think there are a lot of Kansas fans 
that would be disappointed with that. But I think that improvement is not linear. And so you could look at it potentially if there are a lot of close games that didn't quite go their way. You could say, hey, it's still maybe trending in the right direction. But if Kansas winds up winning those two games and there aren't really a whole lot of other opportunities, you lose Big 12 games almost all by double digits, you're not really hanging around. I think that's kind of where this season gets disastrous potentially for you. And not disastrous in terms of, oh my gosh, there, there's nothing they can do. But we've seen at different times, right, during this stretch uh, of Kansas football where there's been just that little bit of momentum. And, and Kansas fans have shown up and they've been excited. And, and they've said, you know, hey, I think it's here. And then they didn't follow up. And I, I think that would be the difficult thing in terms of going out of year two is if fans look at it and say, oh, this is, this is still KU football. These are still the struggles. They're still not very good. I, I think that's where you really start to look at, at this next season as a disaster season. Okay, so what do you think is the – because I asked one win there. I don't know. Like, what do you think is the realistic floor for what things could look like here? Would it be two wins? Like, is there a realistic floor to zero or one wins when you're just Kansas in general? There's a chance where you could you could be one and eleven absolutely because you know Duke is a team that beat you last year and, and there are some interesting returning pieces to that team and I'm not saying Duke is going to fare well in the ACC but we've seen Kansas go zero and eight zero and nine in Big Twelve play before and if you lose that Duke game and the other you know non conference game we're looking at is Houston which is certainly a game that that you could lose Houston looks like it's going to be pretty good. If you come out of non-conference play where your only win is, is Tennessee tech, I don't think that it's a huge jump to say, Oh, there's no way that they could wind up going. Oh, and eight the rest of the way, because they would have already played West Virginia. I, I and so I do think that one and 11 is a floor that's there. I don't think it's super likely. I, I think that, this is a team that's significantly deeper than it has been in recent years, even beyond, you know, sort of the frontline talent and having some guys that you're excited about. I think the depth is really important. And the fact that they can rotate guys through last year, I think they only won one second half all year, Derek. And so, and that was, I think the last game of the season. And so when you look at that, you add in all the depth, you add in the experience from the transfers, the fact that Kansas returns more starters than any other Big 12 team. I don't see one being totally likely. Could it happen? Yes. But I, I think, to me, I, I see 2-10 and ten as maybe the more realistic floor. It, it's kind of like, you know, we were talking about what's the ceiling? Could they get to 6-6? Six and six? Is 6-6 six and six a super realistic ceiling? I don't think so. Is there... A possibility they could do it I, I i guess yeah and so i would say between two and five would kind of be would kind of be my range as i'm looking at it like this yeah i guess that that answers the follow-up there of what the realistic ceiling <laughs> could possibly look like there uh around five wins so if if i told you that kansas is not going to finish last in the big 12 like who would be your pick then to finish last i think it's west virginia and i think that's what makes that game in Morgantown so fascinating. You know, I've, 
I've heard about 35 people from the West Virginia side of things say, you know what, this is kind of a trap game. Between a couple rivalry games, they have pit the week before, and, and so it's just kind of snuggled in there where, you know, it, it's not as, I don't want to say it's not as big of a game to West Virginia as it would be for Kansas, but there's a very real chance that, that West Virginia could be licking some wounds because it looks like it's got a pretty good team again. And so there's a chance that West Virginia loses that game. If West Virginia loses to Kansas and loses to Kansas at home, I think you're looking at a very real scenario there where West Virginia could wind up, you know, having sort of that, that season where everything goes wrong and maybe the boulder rolls downhill and winds up taking Neil Brown with it. I think, you know, there are some other teams that have question marks when you look at, you know, Texas Tech is a really fascinating team and has a first-year head coach, and so you're never really sure how that's going to go. TCU is kind of similar because the bottom dropped out on TCU last year, and so you wonder a little bit, okay, is it going to be like that again under Sonny Dice? Is there going to be an adjustment period? Is it going to be, hey, there's not the Patterson thing hanging over the top of this team, and so they're going to play loose and free and wind up being, you know, a top half Big 12. I think there are a lot of different scenarios there. But with you asking, hey, who's who's the other team that, that you feel like maybe has the, the most shot to finish last in the Big 12, I would say it's West Virginia. Is there a, a specific matchup along? I, I know we've talked about at different points, like, you know, if KU's going to get, X amount of Big 12 wins, like who are the most likely candidates? But just in terms of like matchup, whether it's style of play, whether it's past history, uh, is there a matchup as far as that goes that you think could be most favorable to what KU wants to do? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'd love to give you an answer, but I, I feel like it, it's kind of funny because I, I do think that that maybe some of the teams that I would answer affirmatively there would be teams that have new coaches where we're not entirely sure what that matchup is going to look like, right? Like Mm -hmm. Texas Tech, we figure, is going to be some sort of air raid with Zach Kitley coming in to be the the offensive coordinator. And quite frankly, I'm not sure if Kansas has the depth at defensive back and especially cornerback to to deal with that sort of system just yet. If that's off and firing, TCU is going to run something similar to that. off, you know, just off the jump, I, I feel like maybe the team that KU would match up stylistically with, based on last year's stuff, would maybe be TCU. But TCU is going to be very different this year because they're going to be an air raid type team with with Sunny Dykes, and, and so I, I'm not sure what that that matchup would be. I, I think you would maybe feel stylistically like Kansas State would be in that discussion, but. At the same time, you know, Kansas and Kansas State want to do a lot of the same things, and Kansas State is, is quite frankly, better up front than Kansas is right now, and that makes it tough to win those sorts of games. And so I, I do think, you know, West Virginia is probably the best possibility, but I, I do think we might have a different answer to that question, say, a month in where we're looking at it. We've seen some teams play. We know what teams' weaknesses are. We know – the way that these first-year head coaches are kind of coaching their teams. And so uh, it's it, it's an interesting question for sure because I think that 
from an X's and O's standpoint, I feel like especially offensively, Kansas has shown it can be it can be pretty variable, right? I mean, you saw games where Kansas wanted to run in a wide zone and get 45 carries out there, and then at the end of the year, when you had no healthy running backs, you saw Jalen Daniels, you know, kind of spraying the ball all over the field, and so and you saw quarterback run game and everything in between, and so I do think we'll find out a little bit more about that here in a few weeks. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. As you look at the non-con, um, I guess same kind of question there in terms of, and like you said, it's it's kind of hard to, to tell with, with what KU would want to do, but uh, to that point, like with what Houston has, I, I know going into like the Coastal Carolina game last year, it was a game that KU's playing on the road. Um, it's against a ranked opponent, so clearly you're not you know, expecting KU to, to have a shot in that one, but at the same point in time, like as as good as uh, of a team that Coastal Carolina was from just like an athlete perspective, yes, they had great athletes on that team, but you just look at like the roster base over recruiting, right? It's a lot of uh, similarly recruited level players is what KU would have, for instance. Is that the case for Houston too, to where, you know, of course uh, you see them pop up in maybe a preseason ranking here or there, but uh, that maybe that's just a projection of going, you know, possibly eleven and two or something in the AAC. Like, is there actual avenues for for KU to to kind of exploit Houston? And what are kind of your thoughts on the uh, overall non-con for KU? Yeah, I think there's a chance that Kansas lines up and runs the ball well in that matchup, and it's that will be the game I think where we'll start to see. You know, one of the biggest questions we've had all along is that wide receiver group, and I feel like. That's one of the games where we'll really get an indicator of is Daniels going to get enough help from that wide receiver group to where they can stretch the field enough to keep Houston out of the box. Because I think that as things sit in a base defense, I do think that Kansas can run the ball on Houston. And so when you look at all of that, Coastal Carolina, Derek, I mean, I I don't want to say something that, you know, is going to get you canceled or anything on a family-friendly <laughs> program, but that is the biggest pain in the rear team, you know, from a system standpoint that I can remember seeing. I mean, yes, they were talented. The quarterback was really, really good. You know, the likely was terrific. They had tough running backs. But the biggest thing is on a week or two's preparation, that was just a really tough team to prepare for with all the different gadgets and things that they, and misdirection and everything that they run. And I, I think Houston's a little bit more straightforward. And so maybe you do trade up a little bit in talent, like you were talking about. Houston does have better talent, you know, man to man than, than Coastal Carolina has. But on the flip side of that, you're probably missing a little bit of that. Hey, we're not we're not used to seeing anything like this, and, and so it makes for a really different different type of preparation. And and Coastal Carolina is really physical, and they were able to be really physical because they knew what they were doing, and you didn't know what they were doing, and so they they were able to play fast and, and sort of full speed forward. And so, in some respects, it, as crazy as it sounds, when you when you hand in for, like you said, potentially a Houston team that could have double-digit wins, it might wind up being a little bit more positive trade on, on the Kansas side just because, you know, Dana Holgorsen's a, a heck of an offensive coach, but they don't necessarily run stuff that's so counter to what Kansas is going to see all year. 
If I uh, gave you the option, you can pick one of these two. Uh, more wins for Kansas over the course of the whole season or more losses by whatever team ends up losing the Big 12 title game. I know that's kind of complicated, but what would you pick? Uh, I, I would go ahead and, and pick more wins, but I'll, I'll tell you flat out, Derek, I'm an optimist. Okay. And, and so, you know, I, I'm the type of person that when people ask me my opinion on, like, high school recruits, you know, every kid is great. You know, and so... <laughs> And so I'm sitting here, and I think Kansas is probably going to be somewhere around, you know, three to four wins. I think four is a very real possibility. And so if Kansas wins four games, like I think there's a very real chance that they do. I don't see the Big 12 champion this year having four losses, at least not coming out of the Big 12 title game. I guess technically you could have three and then pick up a, a fourth, you know, in your bowl game. But, no, I, I do think that Kansas probably winds up winning a, a game or two more than whatever team winds up, lo- winds up winning the uh, the Big 12 title game. I don't know. I'm kind of in this, in this odd uh, idea that just, like, the Big 12 title, like, I, I'm trying to think. There was the year, what was it, 2018 maybe, 2020, I don't know, when Texas lost to Oklahoma and that t- they had, like, sure. four losses, something like that. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that's what's going to happen this year. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of out on the Big 12 having any, like, college football playoff teams, not necessarily because there aren't good teams in the Big 12, but just because I feel like you, you look at the top teams in the conference with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor and stuff, I, I just feel like they're going to kind of beat up on each other. Well, I think Texas is, I think, second maybe, either first or second, you know, when you look at Caesar Sportsbook for – for betting odds for the Big 12. And that's a team that you could very easily say, hey, they'll reach the Big 12 title game at 7-2 at and two or maybe even 6-3, and three, and they play Alabama in non-conference play. And so, you know, there's a very real possibility that, that Texas is kind of in that discussion, you know, with that kind of team. And so I do see that possibility out there. I, I just... I think people are sleeping too much on Baylor this year. I'm not saying Baylor's going to the college football playoff, but they have maybe the best offensive line, defensive line combination in the entire Big 12. And I think that Blake Shapin being a quarterback really helps them open up the offense to a level that the guys they lost on defense, I, I think that it's, I think that they're going to be better on offense than what they lose on defense, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, I do think that, that Baylor's going to be pretty good this year, and I think that when you look across the league, you know, Oklahoma's not as talented as it has been. You know, Oklahoma State, a huge part of what made that team so good last year was was Jim Knowles, and now he's at, at Ohio State as defensive coordinator there. And so I, I don't see a clear number two that jumps out to me that, where I say, hey, this this team's going to be as good as Baylor is. And so I, I kind of like Baylor for that, that number one spot. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, I appreciate taking some time out of your day, as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right. That is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. I'm Derek Johnson along with Lane Gillespie. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.